God is doing in the life of this church is because of his mercy and grace. We are where we are because of the mercy and the grace of God. And so the, the question then becomes, well, how do we respond to this? And this is where Luke 17 is going to be so helpful. It's going to help us think about where we are as a church. And if you'll look in Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11, what we're going to find is how we should be responding to the mercy of God. That's where we're going today, responding to the mercy of God. And what Luke is going to do here in verse 11 is he's going to open up and he's just going to say this about Jesus. He's going to say, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, let's just stop right there because I need to give you some context, okay? When, when Luke is saying that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, this is not the first time he's told us this. You can go back to chapter 13, verse 22, and chapter 9, verse 51. And even in chapter 9, verse 51, what does he say? He, he says, um, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to, to go to Jerusalem. And what does that mean? Why is that so significant? Why as early as chapter 9 would Luke be saying, hey, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Chapter 13, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Chapter 17, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. What's the big deal? Well, Jesus was completely determined to journey to Jerusalem. And listen, Jesus was not on a vacation. He was not going there for a little rest and relaxation. He was not going to chill out with the fam. Jesus was on a journey to the death. He was on a journey to die. And this is great news for us. Because Jesus willingly laid down his life. He voluntarily laid down his life outside of Jerusalem, like a criminal, for the sake of your sin and my sin. So, so I just couldn't pass over this, this opening kind of detail that Luke gives us in verse 11 when he says he's on his way to Jerusalem because this is a huge, huge statement in the gospel of Luke. That's the context. And then we could ask, okay, so what happens on his way to Jerusalem? Well, this is the rest of our passage this morning. Look, it's, he continues in verse 12. It says, and as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So I have two primary encouragements for us this morning that I, I think we'll see in our text, okay? The first encouragement is this, is that we need to recognize the mercy of Christ is the, is the foundation for our response. As we're talking about responding to the, to the mercy of God, it's, it's the mercy of Christ that provides the foundation for our response. So check this out. There were 10 lepers hanging outside of the village where Jesus is traveling in between Samaria and Galilee. And what do we know about lepers? Well, uh, we know that they had this terrible skin disease. They, they created all of these open sores on their body. I mean, it was a horrific disease. Completely sickening, com completely uh, uh, crippling in terms of their lifestyle because not only did they have these this physical suffering, but they also had social issues, right? I mean, did you notice that verse 12 said that, that from a distance they cry out? Why is that? Well, it's because they were social outcasts. 
They had to be, uh, you know, hang out in their own miserable little colonies and, and hang out outside of the city because they were not welcomed inside of the city. And when they did come in the city, they had to shout out, unclean, unclean, so that people wouldn't approach them and contract the disease that they had. It was horrible physically, it was, it was horrible uh, uh, socially, and it was ho horrible emotionally. I mean, can you imagine the shame? How often they were looked down upon. Can you imagine uh, the fact that, that, uh, that they never received the type of love and embrace that we so often take for granted? So these lepers were, were in desperate need. But all was not lost for these lepers. Why? Because they hear that Jesus is passing by. And in verse 13, we get the idea that they understood. This is so good. They understood that Jesus had both the power and the heart to heal them. Now let me explain that. He had the power to heal them. What, 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 are the, what does it say? How did they address Jesus? They say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. This is Luke's way of highlighting that these lepers understood that Jesus has the authority like he has the authority over all things. So it's pretty good to connect with Jesus. He has absolute authority over all things, including this nasty disease that has riddled their lives. And so they say, Jesus, you know what? You have the power to, to heal me. You have the authority to heal me. And so I'm going to cry out to you. You're the Lord and master of it all. But added to that, not only does Jesus have the power, he distributes his mercy according to his authority, but he also distributes his mercy according to his love. It was in his heart. He had the power and the heart to heal these people. He had compassion. That's why they appealed to what? His mercy. What are we talking about when we're talking about the mercy of Christ, the mercy of God? Mercy is the goodness of God. Think about this. This is good. The goodness of God confronting human need and suffering. Did you get that? Mercy is the goodness of God. Everything's rooted in his goodness and greatness, okay? The goodness of God confronting human need and suffering. That's mercy. The grace of God is the goodness of God, the goodness of Christ that is given to the undeserving. And so these, these lepers are recipients of the mercy and the grace of Christ. And when Jesus saw the lepers, he was no doubt filled with compassion. And he acts very quickly. Look in verse 14. What does it say? It says, when he saw them, he sees their condition. He sees the state that they're in. And, and it says that he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, why would he do this? Well, this was the cultural norm, the cultural expectation. When someone was, was cleansed of leprosy, they had to go to the priest and, he would, and the priest would then declare them clean. And then they were socially accepted beyond that point. And so Jesus is kind of abiding by the norms of his day. He says, go show yourself to the priest. And what happens now as they go? This is so amazing. It says, as they went, as they are walking down the road, going to the priest, it says they were cleansed. Can you picture that? As they're walking down the road, I mean, this, their skin just starts to, to, to heal all over their body. This is an amazing reality. I mean, and so cool about Jesus, right? How he does these miraculous works. I mean, sometimes he will touch a leper like he does in chapter five, I believe, and they'll experience healing. At other times, he'll just say, be clean. 
but he exercises this miraculous power so that the lepers can be healed. And we should ask ourselves an important question here. What does this miracle say about Jesus? And we could come up with many answers, right? I mean, is he compassionate? Yes. Is he powerful? Yes. Is he, is he merciful? Yes. But the miracles of Christ were designed to teach us so much more than that. What these miracles say about Christ is that he is the Son of God. You say, where do you get that? Well, I get it from Isaiah 35, and I get it from the Gospels. When John the Baptist sends his disciples uh, to, to, you know, ask Jesus, hey, are you, say, are you who you say you are? In other words, are you the Son of God? Are you the Messiah, the coming one who will bring God salvation? What does Jesus say? He says, you go tell John, the blind receive sight, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus is saying, hey, this is what the prophets foretold. I'm the one, I'm the Son of God who is bringing the salvation of God to his people. And we can't miss this. Jesus is the Son of God. He wants us to know him and to love him and to worship him and to experience this great mercy and salvation that he brings. So let me just say this morning that like these lepers, we too have been recipients of the mercy and the grace of God. Think about your life just for a moment. I mean, if you are in Christ, okay? In other words, if you have come to that place in your life where you have seen the glory of God and you know that you were created to worship Him, but you really jacked that up big time in your life. You haven't lived for His glory. You've, you've sinned against God. You've rebelled against Him. You're not holy like He is holy. And that leaves you in a desperate situation, more desperate than these lepers, by the way. That your sin has separated you from uh, an eternally righteous, infinitely loving and holy God. But God in his mercy sends Christ to die on the cross for our sin. That all who would look to him in repentance and faith might have this gift of eternal life. If you have done that, then just consider, consider how merciful and gracious God has been to you. What does Ephesians 4, two, I mean 2, 4, and 5 say? It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So if you want that relationship with God to be restored like he desires for it to be, then you come to him on his terms, not yours, not your own works. It's never going to be good enough. You just come to him saying, I need your mercy. I want your mercy. And God being so rich in mercy. Listen, it does not matter. Let me just pause here. It does not matter how messed up your life is, how deep in sin you may be, how unworthy you feel before God. God's grace and God's mercy is rich. And he saves the lowest of the low. I hope you know that. I hope you've experienced that great and rich mercy. But you say, well, Tanner, I mean, that's great. The mercy of God gets me into the Christian life. What about beyond that? 
And it's like we looked at last week at Easter. The power of God is available to us. His divine powers give us everything we need for life and godliness. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, what a picture here. If you are in Christ, if you know God, this is good. The goodness and mercy of God just follow you. They just track you down all the days of your life. You can never get away, never move away from the goodness and mercy of God. It's a pretty good deal. Huh? Amazing. This is the mercy of God to us as individuals. And I want to ask you just individually, I mean, do you know this? Have you embraced this? Have you trusted in Christ? Are you experiencing on a daily basis the goodness and mercy of God following you all the days of your life? That's on a, on a personal level, an individual level, but, but let's think about God's mercy to us as a church. The mercy of Christ. I mean, this is our one-year anniversary after all, so we should think about what he's done. And John highlighted several of those. I just want to touch on a few. Uh, and, and I want to, uh, as he did, uh, we didn't plan this, but we kind of think alike sometimes. I want to center this on our core values, all right? So, so when we think about the gospel, what are we seeing? Well, first and foremost, people are growing in the grace of God and the grace of Christ. What does that mean? It means that people are not only understanding and receiving the gospel, but they're starting to live out all the implications of the gospel. I mean, what we say is that the, the gospel changes everything, changes the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we love people, the way that we look at others, changes everything about us. And people are growing in that knowledge and their lives are reflecting it. It's an awesome thing. This is what God does. But then number two, in, in light of the gospel, what do we see? We see uh, our Sunday worship. As was stated on the video, I mean, it's amazing to think. We moved here with seven people. We have a launch service of over 100 people. We've, we had a great last summer, uh, you know, into the fall, and now spring where, you know, we're, we're ballooning back up over 100 people probably here today. It's amazing. This is actually really, really unique for a new church in New England, and we shouldn't take it for granted. And so we see that God is doing this great work in our church. But then we move to community. What do we see God doing in the life of our community? Well, we have uh, a growing and diverse community that's, that's, that's forming here. I mean, you can look at, at, at how people are connecting on Sundays and connecting in our community groups, and, and we have church membership now, and, and people are, are you know, not only going deeper with God, but they're also going deeper with one another and learning how to live out these one another commands of Scripture. It's been an awesome thing. And, and to see God start to connect us with, 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 with a diverse crowd. I mean, we want to be a thumbprint of our community. I can't say that enough. That means in Medford, we'll, we'll have, you know, every ethnicity, every socioeconomic background, every, you know, educational stat. It doesn't matter. The gospel's for all people, and, and we want to reflect that as a church. Then, then also in community, we're seeing shared responsibility and leadership. And this is, this is so good. What, is, what does that mean? It's, it means that people are taking ownership of the mission here. And I can give no greater example of this than looking back at our Easter egg hunts, just not you know, yesterday, but, but a, the, the Saturday before. I mean, I basically had nothing to do with that as one of the leaders of the church. It's because people, our members, our regulars, just said, hey, you know what? We're going to own this. We're going to run the show, man. We're going to make this happen. We're going to work out the planning. I mean, John took the lead on it, but he can tell you, man, our people made that happen. It was really cool for me just to say, hey, this is a great idea. Let's do it. And then watch it happen and just be a part. 
just hang out and interact. It was so huge. So we give God praise for all these things he's doing in the life of our church. What about mission? Well, we're serving our city. We're serving people around us. This is what the mercy of Christ compels us to be merciful to others. And this is one of the things that's blown me away probably more than any, any d- dynamic that's been in play in the life of our church is that we've had so many opportunities to serve our city, to seek to, to do good in, in our city, whether it's through our local partnerships, the, the Boys and Girls Club, the Medford Housing Authority, um, Tufts Christian Fellowship, or if it's just our own events, soccer nights, community fun night, Easter, I mean, you, you name it. God has given us so many inroads into the community to serve others, to count others more significant than ourselves. And here's the beautiful thing. I want you to think about this. We want Medford to join us in worshiping God, okay? 55,000. I mean, if we can get 55,000 in here, we want all 55,000. You know what I'm saying? We'll go multiple service. We'll try to find a bigger, you know, I don't know what we'll do. We'll rent the Boston Garden. I don't care. We'll figure out something. But, but, you wrestle with, okay, how is this going to happen? Think about the progression for someone. People go from not even knowing who we are, not even knowing a new church exists in the city, to then saying, oh yeah, they exist, but man, they won't be here very long. We've seen this happen before. We, and, and then even when they, they see that we're kind of sticking around for a while, it's like, well, we really don't trust them, man. We've had a bad experience with church. Where we had a bad experience with, you know, religion. Not usually Jesus, by the way, but, but religion. And so, you know, we're going to keep those people at arm's length, man. We don't trust them. To all of a sudden, when they see our love and see us serving, then there is a reputation and a credibility that starts to come along with our life, with our church, to where then there's an openness to coming. Where people say, you know what, I will be there. I might be there. And then they are here. And then they stay. It's a beautiful thing. But listen, here's our attitude with all of that. As people get to know us and people, you know, grow to trust us, look, it's only natural. Don't be upset about that. Don't be upset that people may not trust us yet. This has to be our attitude. And John and I met with uh, Arwen Jackson. She is the executive director of Amira Incorporated. It's a nonprofit that is, uh, is, is a, really, they create a safe house for victims of human trafficking in Boston, a new organization. And so you can imagine, they, they interact with ladies that have significant, significant trust issues. And that is completely understandable. But here's her attitude. What does she say? She says, I will love you longer than you can distrust me. I mean, that was so good. I had to write that John down. John and I were so pumped up. I was like, man, that's us. That's what we want to do too. In Medford, or, you know, people here in greater Boston, look, we're here. We're going to love you longer than you can distrust us. It's just the way it is. Because the grace of God is at work in our life and his empowerment gives us the ability to do so. And so I hope you're in on that. I hope you're ready for that, that we'll kind of stick with that game plan, that we're just going to love people again and again and again and again until they see the grace of God and the glory of Christ in us and they hear this good news that can change their soul. We're here to serve our city. And then, as John mentioned in his prayer, uh, we're also now having the, the opportunity to help other church plants, new churches being started. In 2013, there's going to be a church that started in Charlestown. And we're going to be able to be in the, kind of the, 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 the front end of that equation and really help them get started praying for them. They'll probably worship with us on Sundays until they start worshiping themselves. And uh, it's just going to be an amazing opportunity for us. And this is happening with other 
newcomers to the city as well. People are, are asking us for some reason, hey, help us out. Pass on some wisdom to us. Give us some encouragement. And that's a great opportunity that not only our leadership team has, but, but our whole church has to embrace and welcome these new churches that are going to be started all over greater Boston. So, so that's what God is doing in the life of our church. But now let's move to, to the second thought, and this is the last thought for us this morning. And this gets to our response. So when we see, when we experience the mercy of Christ, how should we respond? And this is what's spelled out in verses 15 through 19. Look at, look at what it says. Remember, there are 10 lepers going to see the priests. And, and, and this is what it says in verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Now just picture this with me, okay? The, the Bible is not a boring book, okay? might be boring to you, but you're just not reading it very well, okay? Just, just saying, okay? I'm just saying. We can talk about that later. Hope you're not upset about that. But it's not, it's not a boring book. So you have these 10 lepers who are walking to see the priest. Do you picture this? They're being healed instantaneously. It's an amazing miracle that Jesus does for these 10 lepers. But what, is, what does Luke say? It says all 10 of them, they're like a posse going to see the priest. And nine of them kind of keep walking and then one guy just slows down. He says, hold up. Wait just a minute here. My life is changing before my eyes. No longer am I going to experience this physical suffering. No longer am I going to be a social outcast. No longer will I not be able to, to hold my kids. I got to go back. Man, I got to go back and see Jesus, man. I got I to gotta fall down at his feet and worship him and thank him for what he's done. You see that? There's, there's a recognition. It says that he turns back. And it says he praises God with a loud voice. I mean, this is no like kind of, hey, little sheepish, that was really nice of Jesus. Thanks a lot. I mean, he is praising God with a loud voice, falling at his feet, on his face before Christ. And this is so good. This is so instructive for us. Why? Because so often we are restrained in our worship of God. And why is that? It's because we care more about what people think than what God thinks. We're concerned. Oh man, they might think I am, you know, like getting too spiritual up in here. They, they might think, man, I'm, I'm kind of, off, I'm getting a little crazy. I'm getting a little off my rocker here. I mean, you know, I can't get too, you know, loud for God. And so I'm just going to kind of keep it held back and just, you know. Those who know the great mercy and grace of Christ are, are those that are going to be really loud about what he's done. There are so many barriers to the gospel. So many. Intellectual barriers, emotional barriers, social barriers, moral barriers too. But, but I just want to encourage you this morning, in light of this, don't let a social barrier hold you back from the gospel. I mean, for some it holds back their worship. They may know God, but they may not worship him. very. And for, for others, it just holds them back altogether. 
Don't let the fear of man, it's what the Bible calls it, the fear of man. It just means that you care more about what people think than what God thinks. Don't let the fear of man cripple you in your pursuit of God. Be unrestrained. Go to him. Give him worship and gratitude. It says that he fell at his feet and he gave him thanks. And again, this is not like a little, hey, thank you so much. Thank you notice in the mail. All right? This is a, man, I cannot thank you enough because my life is forever changed, but I am going to give it my best shot to thank you enough. He was so, so grateful for what God had done for him. And, and, and we see in verse 17 that this thrills the heart of God. This thrills the heart of Christ when we come back to him in thanksgiving and praise. What does it say in verse 17? It says, Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give God praise except this foreigner? So what we have here is a commendation on the one hand of the one healed person who comes back and gives God praise and thanks. But then really we also have an indictment on the other hand of the nine who just kept on walking. And I just, want to, I just want us to reflect for a moment. Are you ever among the nine? Are you ever among the nine who receive so much mercy, so much grace, and yet you just keep on walking and fail to return to give God thanks and praise? We're so guilty of this, right? Man, I deserve that. Man, I've worked so hard. Don't I deserve a little credit, a little recognition, a little praise? And God's saying, yo, look, look at me here. Like, I gave you the grace to do that. I gave you the power to do that. I'm at work in your life so that you can make that happen. Gratitude should be evident in our conversations with others, and it should be expressed to God regularly through prayer. I mean, what, what an easy way to accomplish this. I mean, thanksgiving to God, to wake up each morning and say, God, thank you for who you are, right? Because we want to love the giver more than the gift that he gives. Thank you for who you are and what you've done in my life. Thank you for being with me through this day. Thank you for all of your promises that are yes in Christ. They're mine now because of faith in him by your grace. And then when you, not only when you wake up, but how about when you go to bed at night to look back and, and see just moments in your days where you can see specific acts of God's faithfulness, how he's worked in your life, just to say, you know what, God, thank you. Man, you're awesome. I didn't deserve that, but you, you did it anyway to give him thanks and praise for how he's been at work. This is why 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, this is a great verses. It says, rejoice always, Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is what God wants and desires from us. And this, listen, this should be characteristic of the life of a disciple, where we're just constantly giving God thanks and praise, thanks and praise, thanks and praise. 
and praise. Thomas Watson, a Puritan back in the 17th century, he, he said, this is the true genius and complexion of a disciple of Christ. Pr pretty weighty comment, right? It's the true genius and complexion. It's just who we are. It colors who we are. Thanksgiving and praise of a disciple of Christ. So, so Jesus commends this one for coming back and giving him thanks and praise. But, but that's not all. He goes on to say what in verse 18. Was no one found to return and give God praise except this foreigner? Now just real quick, and we've already touched on this, but, but Samaritans were not looked upon so well by Jews. They, they, were, they were despised for their ethnicity and for their watered-down worship of God. And so this is the beautiful thing about Luke's gospel. It's probably why we're going to preach through it starting in the fall. It's because the gospel is for all people. Luke loves to highlight how Jesus interacted with the social outcasts of his day. And how that the kingdom of God is truly for all people. So much so that in chapter 7 he says that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. A friend. A friend. Which really helps us with how we should live our life as Christians as well. So we as a church, we just want to take our cues from Jesus and we are a church for all people. I mean, let it be said once, let it be said twice, let it be said a hundred times. This is who we are. So whoever it is in your life, your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, your family member, whoever, I, I, they're welcome here. All right? So bring them, bring them with you next Sunday when you come back. And we'll just set up more chairs. It'll be a lot of fun. Okay? Because they're welcome here. Because the gospel is for all people. Now, what was the result of this in interaction between this man and Jesus? We find it in verse 19. Look, look, look down with me, if you will. Jesus says, and he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Some translations say, your faith has saved you. So it seems here, what seems to be going on, it seems that there was healing and then there was healing. You know what I'm saying? There was physical healing that was going on on the outside, but there seems to be for this one leper a spiritual healing that was taking place on the inside because of his faith in Christ. And this healing that Jesus extends is still available today. And so let me ask you, I mean, do you know the mercy of, of Christ? I mean, this is the point of this story. You get the point at the end today, all right? When we experience the mercy of Christ, we must respond with gratitude and praise. That's how stories work in the gospel. You kind of get the point at the end, so you get the point at the end today of the sermon. When we experience the mercy of Christ, we must respond in gratitude and praise. And so again, let me ask you, are you do you know the mercy of Christ? Are you experiencing the mercy of Christ? It's my prayer that you know it as individuals and that we would know it as a church. Let me, let me close like this. Uh, everyone knows what, what uh, time of the year it is, right? 
taxes are due two days from now, deadline, federal tax deadline is coming up. And so perhaps maybe some of you are still scrambling, you know, you're like punching your friend and laughing about it right now uh, because you haven't mailed your taxes in yet. All right, so you probably should do that, at least file for extension and, you know, not have Uncle Sam come looking for you anytime soon. Um, but, 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 but hopefully you're going to get a return on those taxes and not have to pay more on those taxes. Right? That's what we all, we all hope for. But, but can you imagine, I want you to think about a scenario for a second. Can you imagine if it just happened that you did not pay all of your, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. This may have been unintentional, okay? For the sake of illustration, it would actually be truer to the illustration to say it was very intentional. But we'll give you some, some, some benefit of the doubt. Say, man, you just missed it. Thousands of dollars here, deduction messed up there, thousand here, and just over the period of years, we'll say 40 years, you accrued this debt with interest piling up. And Uncle Sam comes to you later in your life and he says, yo, you owe me hundreds of thousands of dollars. You better pay up or you're gonna have some severe consequences. You're gonna spend the rest of your life in prison. I mean, can you feel the, the weight of despair of that moment? Man, you, you are just pounded with this reality that man, I am in such great debt. What am I going to do? And then a few days later, you find that there's someone who has written a check to cancel the debt. So now you get a new bill from the IRS and it has zero, zero, decimal point, zero, zero. Man, it is wiped clean. Friends, this is what has happened in the gospel. We have an incalculable debt before God because of our sin that has justly separated us from God. But God, because he is so rich in mercy, he makes a way for that hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions and billions of dollars of debt that we have in the sight of God. He has a way to wipe it clean and make your account. Look, listen, not just zero, zero, decimal point, zero, zero. I mean, the gospel is so much better than that. It not only wipes our debt clean, but it's as if God has placed an inestimable sum of money in your bank account. Because not only has he taken your sin away, but he's given you the righteousness of Christ. It's an amazing, amazing reality. And so I just want to ask you this morning as we think about having gratitude in our heart and giving praise to God, do you know this? I mean, do you, do you know it? Not just like, man, I'm going to think about that next week. Man, I'll deal with that, you know, when I'm in my 40s or 50s or 60s. I mean, I just want to ask you today, like, do you know this reality? Do you know the mercy of God? Have you embraced it? I mean, if you were to, you know, die today. Some people will ask a question. If you were to die today and stand before God and you say, you know, w- what about you? Why, why would you, why, why should I let you into heaven? And you say, man, I've been a good person. Lord, I mean, I did my best. I just want to give you a heads up, man. That's not going to work out so well because none of us have, have, have done enough. Our good works are simply not that good. 
And we need the work of Christ in our place as our substitute to bring us to God. And so if you have never looked to Christ and his work on the cross and believed in his resurrection from the dead, if you've never embraced Christ, then like today is the greatest day for you to say yes to him. I'm in. I see my sin and my separation from you. I see that I was created to live for you and I want this all to be rectified and made right. If you need to do that today, man, we just want to invite you to do that. And so I'm going to pray and we're going to invite the band to come up and we're going to sing some songs. And, and maybe instead of singing, you can stand, you can sit down. It doesn't really matter. God's interested not in your posture. He's interested in your heart. And maybe you see to deal with God and say, you know what, God, man, I've blown it. I see that today, maybe for the first time in a new way. And I want to commit my life to you. I want to follow Christ. I want to be like this one leper who comes back in gratitude and thanksgiving for what you've done. So I'm going to pray for us when the band's going to come up. And, and, and I just want to invite you, man, if that's you, say on, take that, take that connection card that we have and just write on the back, man, I'm in. I'm in. That's all you need to say. Man, we'll follow up with you, make sure that you're squared away and, and, and have that right relationship with God that he so desires for your life. Okay, so let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this passage. And God, we pray that you would uh, help us to, to see how merciful you've been to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we would uh, take these truths, and that we would take them to heart, and that our lives would be forever changed. God, if there's anybody here today that, that needs that, to make that decision for the first time, to receive this great salvation in Christ, Lord, I pray that, that they would see that and that they would receive it and they would, they would let us know. Just let you know first, say I'm in, and then let us know too. But God, for those of us who do, do know you, Lord, may our lives be reflective of, of this one who came back and giving you thanks and praise. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.